I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that we are pressing into one of the most, if not the most, difficult seasons of, of at least my generation. I think that over the last 18 months or so, I mean, you could even go back a few years, it seems like life and the culture and the world is just getting increasingly more difficult. Uh, and I, I wanna just say a few things before we get into this, because a part of today's message is kind of setting the tone for the whole series. And I, I just wanna be very clear what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I believe that as we press on through the course of this year, I think that we will face more difficulties than we have in a long time and maybe in our whole lives. I think that there could be wars, literal wars. I mean, the whole world is talking about World War III right now. There is economic collapse uh, in the mouths of every government official. There, there, is, there is tension everywhere that you look. There is division everywhere that you look. It is becoming increasingly more difficult to be a genuine follower of Christ. I think that if you go back and you look at history, there is a, a, a very deep and real pattern. In fact, we'll see that pattern even at work today in this message, uh, that, that as, as time goes on in each culture, as time goes on in each government, uh, as time goes on at each point of history, uh, always something happens always to followers of Christ, to believers. There begins to be a pressure uh, on them to not follow Jesus publicly. This pressure begins to intensify over time. Eventually, that pressure turns into persecution, social persecution, financial persecution, but eventually physical persecution. And then at the end of it, there is an outlaw of God's word, an outlaw of Jesus, an outlaw of following Christ. We've seen this pattern multiple times in multiple nations and multiple cultures over and over and over again over the last 2,000 years. I believe that we have started to face extreme and serious pressure to not publicly follow Jesus in our current culture and in our country. I think that we're probably not far away from genuine social economic persecution. I think we're a little farther away from physical persecution, but I think that at any given second, that could shift and change quickly. I think that what the Bible tells us is that by the end of it, as time presses forward and we move more towards the end of the age, by the end of it, uh, the Jesus, the name of Jesus, following Christ, Christianity, reading, obeying, believing in this word will become outlawed worldwide. That, that's the future. Now, whether that happens in six months, six years, or 60 years, or 600 years, truly, we don't know. But I think that if we know anything about what scripture says about the end times, uh, there, there, there is a, a something, a speeding up uh, all around us, they're, they're, unless you just know nothing of scripture or you, you know nothing of what's going on in the world, uh, there, there, is, there is deep, deep, deep signs. Everything the Bible said would happen is happening and has happened. And so this is the direction the world's going. I don't think that a president is going to be able to change that. I don't think that the election, I mean, I think we put so much hope in things that we should never put hope in. I don't think there's going to be a president that's going to come along or a politician that's going to come along or some uh, tech genius that's going to come along or something that's going to come along and change things and make things good. It's just simply not going to happen. There's going to be difficulty and that difficulty is going to increase as time goes forward but I wanna be so emphatic about my next statement. I want you to hang on what I'm about to say. I want you to hear it, I want you to believe it, and I want it to be your battle cry if you need it to. 
Yes, things are going to be extremely difficult as we move forward in the future, but there is absolutely nothing to fear because of the God that we serve. God told us 2,000 years ago, Jesus laid out exactly what things would look like. And one of the times he literally said, I'm telling you this, so then when it happens, you won't be afraid. Our God is in control. Our God is sovereign, our God is powerful, our God is good, our God knows nothing but victory, and in the end, we will win because he wins. That's the heart of what God wanted us to know about the future. That said, we still have to learn to walk through this difficulty and not just live through it, but thrive through it. And over the last few months, as I've been praying about this and, and digging into this, the Lord has laid this heavy burden on my heart as a shepherd to prepare our people to learn to truly live by faith. I think that in modern Christianity, there is such a fixation on being saved by faith, which is a great fixation. That is a great thing to be fixated on. But being saved by faith is what opens up the door for your life to live by faith. Salvation, your salvation is not the end of the game, it's the beginning of the game. And God went through a lot of effort to teach us not just the importance or the power of living by faith, but what living by faith truly is. And this is the thing, and I want you to hear me this morning. God is always calling his people to live by faith. That is, that is the calling that is on every single believer's life, to live by faith. And I, I, it's such an uh, abstract thought for so many people. It's, it's, it's an unclear thought for so many people. What does it mean to live by faith and how do you live by faith? But it's not unclear in Scripture. It's not abstract in, in Scripture. In fact, it's incredibly clear what living by faith actually looks like. Uh, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible that we're gonna start this series off in is gonna kind of be the foundation for this entire series is Hebrews 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. It's, it's, about, it's all about faith in those from the Old Testament who lived by faith as an example for us in the New Testament church to also live by faith. And so if you go to Hebrews 11 and you begin to read through all these stories and all these moments and all these seasons of people's lives where they had to live by faith, you can get an idea, a very clear picture of what it is to truly live by faith. And as I studied this and I was praying through this and prepping through this over the last few months, I became fixated on Hebrews 11 verses 23 through 29. There's five by faith statements all surrounding the life of Moses out of the book of Exodus. And as I began to, to study Hebrews 11, the Lord began to zero me in on these five by faith statements and I became utterly addicted to them and began to study them and not just study Hebrews 11, but study all of Exodus and study every other scripture in the Bible that was connected to these five by faith statements. And as I began to just dwell in this word and let this word dwell in my heart, God began to reveal to me the deep, significant parallels between the season that Moses was born into in Egypt and the life that we are living right here and right now. 
I, I wanna give you, before I even get into the, the, the read the scripture, Hebrews eleven twenty three. 23, I, I want you to know the context of what's happening because this is gonna be, there, there's, this is gonna be a, a foundational thought through this whole series. This is gonna be the lens at which I kinda want us to see these scriptures and these by faith statements through. Uh, Moses' parents were slaves, Israelite slaves in Egypt. Uh, long, very long story short, uh, God raised up Joseph, who was the son of Israel, uh, to, to become second in control in Egypt. There was a great famine that came, and then eventually all of Joseph's brothers and his father and his family all came. This was the beginning of the Israelite nation. They all came and they lived in Egypt, and Pharaoh handed the entire kingdom over to Joseph, and Joseph ran this kingdom uh, all of his life. He was greatly revered, uh, greatly feared. He was a great wise leader, a great man of God. And the people of Israel and the people of Egypt thrived together through his leadership. But after Joseph died, uh, and then the Pharaoh that deeply loved Joseph died and had a respect for the God, uh, Joseph's God, which is the God of Israel, and had a love and respect for the people of Israel, after he died, a more evil, sinister pharaoh or king came to power, and he did not know jo Joseph at all, didn't care for Joseph, didn't care about the God of Israel, didn't care for the Israelites. And over time, Israel began to thrive, and they began to grow in number. And the Egyptians became afraid that if Israel decided one day they wanted to take over, that they could, and so they started to put them to hard labor. Uh, they started to not enslave them quite yet, but put them to hard labor. They started to change what jobs they could work at. They started cutting them out of certain uh, parts of the, the social, economic uh, parts of Egypt. But they continued to thrive and they continued to grow. So eventually uh, they made it where the only thing that you could do is hard labor. And then eventually they fully enslaved them. But they kept growing and they kept thriving. And so the leaders of Egypt got together, and this is a huge point of, of this story. This is a huge thing that you have to know to understand the context, especially of today's message. And they said that, that if, we, if we keep allowing them to, to grow and populate, and even if they're enslaved, they're gonna be stronger than us. And so they started a secret mission to start trying to kill the baby boys of, born into Israel. And so they got all of the midwives, and they began to... Uh, pay them and coerce them to kill uh, the baby boys. But the Bible says that the midwives feared God and revered God and loved God more than they feared uh, the Egyptians and the Egyptian rulers. And so they did not kill the baby boys. Well, over the course of a few months and a years, it became clear to the Egyptian leaders that none of the baby boys were being killed. And so uh, they came to the midwives and the midwives made up some kind of story as to why uh, that it wasn't happening. And eventually, after, after this kind of slow process, uh, they basically then just publicly outlawed newborn baby boys being born of Israel. And they said that every boy that is born will be killed. And so they put out an edict uh, for all of the fathers to expose the sons, basically bring the sons out as soon as they're born so that the Egyptian uh, uh, slave masters could kill the baby boys right there. And, and this is the season at which Moses is born. And so when we understand that, I wanna move into this first by faith statement. And I, I really want us to hang on this and see the crazy beauty and the power 
of what it is to truly live by faith in our lives. So I'm gonna go to Hebrews 11, verse 23. I'm only gonna read one of the statements this morning, uh, and then we're gonna move through. This is Hebrews 11, verse 23. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, so everything that we're about to read happened by faith. That means that if we can come to a real understanding of what is happening and and what they've done and why they did it, then we will have a very clear picture of what it is to live by faith. One way that God is calling each and every believer to live by faith. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So the heart of this is that uh, the king's edict was to expose all of the baby boys to be butchered and killed by the Egyptian slave masters. But that the, Moses' parents, his father and his mother, decided that they were not going to do that, that by faith, they were gonna keep Moses alive, that by faith, they were gonna hide Moses. Now, if, if you just read Hebrews eleven twenty three, it might be difficult to really understand the true heart of what's happening because you might think that when it says beautiful, they just meant that it was like a baby Brad Pitt, right? That it was, it was just, he was just so good looking that they were like, he's not an ugly baby. If it was an ugly baby, we would just be done with it. But it's not an ugly baby. It's a really cute baby. It's a really beautiful baby. So let's risk our lives for it. That is not what's happening at all. You also may think, and this would be a very natural thought. If, if you only read Hebrews eleven twenty three, 23, this might be a very natural thought that it really wasn't necessarily faith that was driving them, but that it was, of course, the love of a mother or the love of a father for their child. Of course, the mother would save the child. Of course, the mother would risk her life for the child. Of course, that would happen. That's not faith. That's natural instinct. Some of the nicest, most polite, quietest women I know turn into werewolves when you mess with their children. Right, I've seen some of the most godly women lose their religion when you start messing with their children. And you might think that that's what this is, that it's not real courage, it's not faith, it's not even have to do with God, it's just the natural connection and the instinct and that driving thing that is inside mothers to protect and fight for their children. And I would give you that, except that the rest of the Bible tells a different story. The thing that you have to really understand is that exposing the child at a day old and allowing the infant to be killed was actually the merciful thing to do because they were enslaved. They were basically imprisoned and they had slave masters who came and regularly checked and and went through the houses and searched the houses for these baby boys. And so they might be able to hide him for three months or six months or a year, but eventually they would find the boy. You you might be able to hide an infant, but you can't hide my, my Hudson, all right? You can't hide Hudson anywhere, 
all right? So the heart here is that if you tried to hide them, you might get away with it for three months or six months or a year or even two years. But eventually, they're gonna see a toddler boy. Eventually, somebody's gonna see it. And then after you got to raise your son for a year or two years or five years, then they would come and kill him in front of you anyway. And so the heart of this, I need you to understand this because you're gonna miss the whole by faith moment. You're gonna miss the whole picture if you don't really get this. The heart of this is, is that the merciful thing to do was when the boy was born to take them out before the mother could get attached, before the mother could have that moment, before there's any real connection. It's the merciful for the parents and it's merciful for the child to just go out, give them to the Egyptians, let the evil Egyptians do what they do and then move on with your life because you could hide them for some time but you could not hide them indefinitely. And it would be harder, more darker, and a deeper pain to raise the boy for a year, two years, or three years and lose him anyway. So this is the heart of what's happening. So when it says that by faith, they saved the boy because he was beautiful, there's something deeper going on. And if you go to Acts 7, verse 19, as Stephen, who was the first martyr, the first person to ever die for his faith in Jesus, Stephen goes through the history of Israel. And as he's going through the history of Israel, he touches on this moment with Moses. And we actually see a more clear picture of when it says beautiful in Hebrews eleven twenty three. we see the heart of what's really happening. So I wanna read this in Acts 7, 19 through 22. It says, he dealt, meaning Pharaoh, he dealt shrewdly with our race, Israel, and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And when he was brought up for three months in his father's house and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So Stephen, in Acts 7, summarizes the heart of this whole uh, Hebrews eleven twenty three moment. But he adds, because he's actually going through the actual word verbatim history of Israel, he adds a very key factor that isn't necessarily clearly seen in Hebrews eleven twenty three. that Moses wasn't baby Brad Pitt. He wasn't just beautiful. He was beautiful in God's sight. And in, in, in Exodus, which we're gonna get to in just a moment, it also calls him beautiful or fine. But the heart of that word that is used in Exodus, it, it literally means of the city. So let me just, let me break this down real fast. The city, if you lived in a city back in this culture and in this day, you had a lot more resources than people who lived way out in the country. If you think there's a difference in people who live in the country now versus people who live in the city, if you think there's a difference now, there was a dynamic difference in this day. But you had access to like water and resources and soap and things like that. And so when you came out, when you ventured out of the city and you came into the country, everybody knew it because you looked clean and well-kept. And so they created a word that eventually is translated uh, beautiful or fine, that literally means of the city or from the city. And it was a word meaning that they come from some place and it's obvious 
that they're from the city. They're beautiful, they're, they're fine, they're good. That word, when it's used in this context, in saying that it's beautiful in God's sight, they're saying that they understood that Moses was of God, that Moses had a purpose on his life that God had placed on it, that Moses wasn't just another Hebrew boy, that Moses, the hand of God was on Moses. God deeply valued Moses. God had significant plans and purpose for Moses. Moses was different than everybody else. And so when they saw that he was beautiful in God's sight, that God valued this child, that God had a purpose and a plan for this child, that this child was a priority for God, that is when they stepped out by faith and hid Moses. It would have been more merciful to Moses to have him killed in day one. It would have been more merciful for the mother and the father and the rest of his family to just have him killed by day one. But by hiding him, you're not only risking your own lives, you're not only risking the tragedy that would come later, you're not only risking the death of everybody connected to you, you're risking your whole life to protect what they believed was beautiful in God's sight. This is one of the first by faith statements. To live by faith is to live for and build your life around what is beautiful in God's sight. That is one of the most foundational pieces to living by faith. God has things that are beautiful to him. God has things that are of him, like that word meaning of the city or from the city. There are things that God values. There are things that God says there's a priority for him and should be a priority for us. There are things that are beautiful in God's sight. And living by faith is knowing what those things are, knowing what God values, knowing what God says is important, knowing what God says is a priority, knowing what is beautiful in his sight, and then building your life around them and living for those things. And the heart of what you have to understand through this entire series and every by faith statement is there is this constant tension between Egypt and Hebrews. There is a constant tension between the Egyptian culture and the Israelite culture. What Egypt valued and what Egypt said was beautiful and what Egypt said was good and what Egypt said was worth living for and what Egypt called success, what Egypt said was dynamically different than what God said was beautiful and what God said was important and what God said was good and what God said should be a priority. This same tension between Egypt and the Hebrew people between Egypt and the people of God is the exact same tension that every generation has had between the culture and the true church of Jesus Christ. What the culture says is valuable, what the culture says is beautiful, what the culture says is good, and what the culture tells you to live for is always dynamically different than the cause of Christ and what Christ tells you to live for and what Christ says is important and what Christ says is beautiful in his sight. Part of living by faith is understanding there is a dynamic difference between Egypt and Israel. There's a dynamic difference between the culture of the age and the church of Jesus Christ. 
You will never be able to value both what is important in the culture and what is important to Jesus. You'll never be able to live for the cause of Christ and the cause of the culture. It will never happen. They're two dynamically different. One goes to the right, one goes to the left. You will never be able to value one and also value the other. This is why Jesus came multiple times in multiple ways and said things like this. You cannot serve two masters. You will love one and hate the other. You will serve one and ignore the other. This is the heart of what living by faith is. Coming to terms that we live in a world that is not of Christ that we live in a culture that is not of Christ. And everything that this culture tells us is important and tells us is valuable and tells us is beautiful and tells us is good is dynamically different than everything that God says is good and God says is beautiful and God says should be a priority. So part of living by faith is coming to terms with this decision. You will have to decide in your heart and in your mind what will you value and who will you call king in your life? Amen. You have to make this decision. I know that modern Christianity want the whole goal of, I feel like of so many churches is just to get people in their church and sit in their seats. And so they just, they want you to always think about the baby things of Christianity and they just want you to water down all of the truths. But I need you to understand there's a reason why Jesus said, count the cost before you start following me. There's a reason why Jesus said, I need you to understand that, that the road that I'm going down, not everybody's gonna wanna go. Everybody can go, but not everybody's gonna wanna go. This is why Jesus said, uh, the, the foxes and the birds have uh, places to sleep in, but I only have a rock. All right, this is the heart of why Jesus spent so much time. I want you to understand your salvation is a gift from Jesus. He died to give you salvation. It will cost you nothing. Following Jesus costs your whole life. Amen. That's the truth of the gospel. This is what they did. This is what the mother and the father did. They said, this child is not just another boy. It would be the easy thing to do, the merciful thing to do, even the loving thing to do, to hand him over to the Egyptians right now and send him on to the father but he's beautiful in God's sight. He's important and he's valuable. He's worth risking our life for. He's worth building our life around. He's worth living for. The thing that they came to in this moment is they realized that it wasn't just their son, that it wasn't just Moses, it wasn't just their boy, but that this was God's man for that season of history. And they realized that what God said was important was not only worth living for, but it was even worth dying for. And one of the things that have become a calling card in my heart, I believe that if you are not living for something worth dying for, you are not living at all. That this life will become one giant series of wastefulness and distractions because you're caught up in Egypt. You're caught up in the culture. You value everything the culture says to value. You've based your life on that. You've built your life around that. And you aren't living by faith at all. You are conforming to the culture of the age. Living by faith is understanding. Even if you were born in Egypt, you are not Egyptian. Even if you were born in this culture, you are not of this culture. You have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are a Christian. You are filled with the spirit of God. Now it's time to live like it. There's a power in that. 
Uh, what I want us to see though is the beauty and the power of what happens when we start to value what God values, when we start to build our life around the things that God says is beautiful, when we start to live our life by faith, I wanna show you what happens. I wanna go to Exodus and I, I want us to see this whole story play out. This is crazy, okay? Exodus two, start with verse one. It says, now a man of the house of Levi married a daughter of Levi and she conceived and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was beautiful, a beautiful child, we know because of Acts 7 that it was not just beautiful, but it's beautiful in God's sight, something that God valued, something that God said was priority. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got him a papyrus basket and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in the basket and set it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. So I, I wanna lay this out. Living by faith, taking what God says is beautiful, taking what God values, taking what God says is important, taking what God says you should live for, what, what you should build your life around it's always going to create a significant tension with the culture, always. No matter what culture you're in, it's always gonna create tension with the culture. But the more that the culture turns to hate God and hate Christ and hate Christianity and hate the things that God says are important in his word, the more the pressure uh, and the more difficult and the harder it gets. And eventually, and I need you to hear me, eventually, Living by faith is always gonna get you to a point and get you to a place where you can no longer move forward in your own power. If you're living a life where you can accomplish it within your own power, you're not living for Jesus and you're not living by faith. To follow Christ, to value what he says is valuable and to give your life fully to him, and to truly live for him and build your life around the things that he says is important and he says is a priority, there will always come a time when you have to be fully and utterly dependent on God's hand moving. The story of this church is that reality played out over and over and over and over and over again. And I wanna show you what happens when you truly begin to live for Jesus when you truly begin to value what he values and live by faith. I wanna show you the crazy hand of God, the crazy movement of God that faith actually brings into our life. Now, they hid this baby for three months. He must have been a little baby Hudson because they could only hide him for three months. All right? If it was Eden, maybe they got six months. But it was only three months. She gets a basket. She, she makes it waterproof. She puts him in it and she sends him down the Nile, completely letting go, completely trusting God, completely dependent on the hand of God. This is the position that God wants your life in all the time. Because God, want, I need you to hear me. God wants to do crazy, amazing things in your life. But only living by faith causes the hand of God to move in this way. And let me tell you why, through a little story. I've got a son, his name Hudson, he's crazy, I love him. He loves basketball, 
My dad played basketball all the way through college. I played basketball all the way through high school. I loved it. It's the one thing I love. Hudson loves basketball. And when he came to me four or five weeks ago and he said, Daddy, I want to play basketball. We got him signed up in the, the, I can't remember what it's called, the little kids league where everybody wins. And I'm still, <laughs> still working on that. Still working on that. Uh, he's got an amazing coaching staff. They all come to the church. They're just phenomenal people. Uh, and he's had such a great time playing and he barely touched the basketball until five weeks ago. And so like when he just kind of looked like he was, had some issues when he first started and, uh, and I got him a basketball and I, I, I wanted to move on his behalf because he was wanting to do something that I deeply valued. And so we got him a basketball goal for Christmas and we got him a basketball and we got him this little iPad thing where he can, he can it, it teaches you how to dribble and it teaches you uh, hand movements. And so you look into it and we got him everything that we could think of to help him. Uh, and I go out and we play with him and he's, his sister's on him like white on rice uh, playing defense because in this league, they can't steal. Well, in Aubrey's league, she can steal. And so she's, he's immediately had to learn how to like do stuff and he's gotten so much better in five weeks and this is just a moment for me to brag on my son because I love it. Yesterday, he scored 14 points, almost half the points of the team. You're not supposed to be keeping score because they don't because that's good for the kids. I was keeping score uh, and... And I was so proud of him. And his defense was good and it was just awesome. And I loved it. And it was crazy seeing how much better he got in five weeks. The point of the story is that, that he was doing something that he wanted to do something that I loved and that I valued. So I, I took all my resources and all my power and all my strength and I wanted to help him do that. But if he came to me and he said, uh, Dad, I want to go jump off of a cliff. I wanna go, go hang gliding. I, I, wanna, I wanna get in those little packs that look like little squirrel suits and I'm gonna go up on top of the house and I'm gonna jump off. I would not help him do that, right? I would be like, you're dumb, okay? And I know where you get it from, your mother, okay? So don't, I'm just kidding, he gets it from me. I've done that, like I've jumped off cliffs. But I'm not gonna help him do that because it's dangerous. It's not something I value. It's not something I want him to do. I'm not gonna lift a finger. In fact, I'm gonna go out of my way to stop him from doing that. When he does something that I value and that I think is awesome and that I think is cool and that I think is good and that I think is healthy for him, I'm gonna, all of my resources are his resources. All of my power becomes his power. All of my strength becomes his strength. And now I'm moving on his behalf. But if he wants to do something stupid and dangerous that is something that I don't value and something that I don't think is healthy and something that is not good for him, not only am I gonna not help him throw his life away, I'm gonna do everything in my power to stop him from going that direction. Part of the reasons why people never see God move in their life is because they spend their whole life prioritizing things God doesn't prioritize and going directions God doesn't want you to go. God's not gonna help you waste your life. I know that some of us were introduced to the prosperity gospel where God super cares about the house you live in and the car you drive and the money you have. All those things will burn when you die. He doesn't care about those things at all. He didn't give his son on a cross to die to help you climb some corporate ladder, help you be popular, help you grow on Instagram. He, he died so that you would know him, that you'd be in a relationship with him and that you would find the significance and the purpose that you have in Christ. And when you align your life with him, his power becomes your power, his resources become your resources and he begin to move on your behalf. Not only is he not gonna help you throw your life away, not only is he not gonna answer the prayers you pray going the wrong direction, he's gonna oppose you and get in your way because he loves you so much, he's not gonna let you go so far down that road you can't come back home because whatever the best human parent is, God is a thousand billion times better. 
He's not gonna help you waste your life. If you don't value what he values, if you don't think what your priorities and his priorities, if they're different, if your life is aligned with Egypt and your life is aligned with the culture, the only movement of God in your life is gonna be him pulling you back away from the wickedness, the evilness, and the wastefulness. So I've answered many of your questions. Why doesn't God move in my life? Because his only movement is pulling you back so that he can move in your life. This is what happens when you live by faith. Exodus two, but when she could no longer hide him, she got him a papyrus basket and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in the basket and set it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Soon the daughter of Pharaoh went down to bathe in the Nile, the daughter of the king who put out the edict to kill Moses. Soon the daughter of Pharaoh went down to, the, to bathe in the Nile and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And when she saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maidservant to retrieve it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the little boy was crying. So she had compassion on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. How did she know that? Circumcision. The only people in, in this day and age that were circumcised were Israelites, Hebrews. So she knew instantly, as soon as she opened the basket, saw a little naked Moses and said, that's a Hebrew baby boy. Had compassion on him. Then his sister, remember his sister had followed it to see what it was God was gonna do. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Go ahead, Pharaoh's daughter told her, and the girl went and called the boy's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child and nurse him for me and I will pay your wages. So the woman took the boy and nursed him. When the child had grown older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses and explained, I drew him out of the water. So I wanna show you what just happened. Moses was beautiful in God's sight. Moses' parents, specifically the mother, risked not just their own life, and the life of the baby boy, but Moses' sister and everybody else connected to them. And she hid him for three months and she could no longer hide him anymore. And then by faith, she trusted God and let him go, completely dependent on the hand of God. Baby Moses goes down the creek, gets stuck in the reeds. Pharaoh's daughter, probably the one person in the whole kingdom of Egypt that could save Moses' life comes down to take a bath sees the basket, opens it up, has compassion on him. Then because she's not pregnant and doesn't have a child, she can't nurse the baby. So the sister says, do you want me to get one of the Hebrew moms to nurse this baby for you and then give him back to you when he gets older? And she said, yes. So then Moses' mother, who lets him go in the morning, by that evening, has him back in her own house and now can raise him publicly under the protection of the daughter of the king who wanted to kill him. Not only does she get to raise her own son publicly, now she's getting paid for it. That is something only God can do. That is what it looks like when God moves in your life. That is the story everybody's story who lives by faith. That is what life begins to look like. But this by faith moment, this by faith statement begins with you valuing what God values, with you agreeing what is beautiful in his sight is beautiful. 
agreeing and aligning your life. What you say is a priority, I wanna make a priority in my life. And not only do I wanna do that, but I wanna build my life around it. And I wanna live for this. I wanna find something that's worth dying for, and that's what I wanna live for. So the heart of this is practically coming to terms with what does God say is valuable? What does God say is beautiful in his sight? What should I bring into my life? What should I value? What should I build my life around? What should I live for? The Bible is abundantly clear about these things. So I just wanna share a few of them with you just to get them in your head. The number one thing that God believes is beautiful in his sight as a priority is your relationship with him. Now, he already created you. That's how you know he loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you just so you could be in a relationship with him. That's how much he values you and values the relationship that he has with you. Now what he's asking you to do is you value your relationship with him in the way he values your relationship with you. He wants you to build your life around your relationship with Jesus. He wants prayer life to be a priority for you. He wants a connection, a daily communicative connection to be a priority in your life. He killed his own son so that he could call you son and call you daughter, so that he could have intimate moments with you, so that he could spend time with you. God's word, the truth that's found in it, the wisdom that's found in it, the knowledge that's found in it. What, what, what God says is wrong and right. What God says is good and evil. What God says is righteous and unrighteous. God's word, God's truth. This scripture is a massive priority for God. And it should be a massive priority for you. Your life should be daily connected to it. Your life should be built around not just the word, but the message with inside of it. The gospel itself, the message of the gospel and the proclaiming of that message is beautiful in God's sight. It's a priority for God and it should be a priority for every single believer. And we should build our lives around that reality. We should be a people of the gospel message and we should live our lives in a way that proclaims that message to the people in and around us. Right? Things like marriage is something that is beautiful in God's sight. Value your marriage. Fight for your marriage. Don't give up and walk away. It is beautiful in God's sight. It is a priority for God, and it should be a priority for us. We shouldn't just be roommates sleeping together every now and then. Marriage is something so crazy powerful. It could be if we fought for it. Family, children, if God has blessed you with children, they are a priority to him. They have to be a priority to you. Do not sacrifice your relationship with your children on the altar of cultural success. They don't care if they're driving a BMW. They want you, okay? They want you. These are all things that are beautiful in God's sight. Right? The advancement of the kingdom. Ministry, your purpose and significance. Every single person in this room and at home, you are created. God has gifted you not just for your own benefit, but to serve him and to serve the people around you. This is the body of Christ. We are all working together for each other and for the cause of Jesus. So what God's put you on this planet for is a priority to him and it should be a priority to you. 
You taking all the gifts that he gave you and selling them to the culture for personal gain is not living by faith. That is conforming to the culture. There are so many things inside this scripture that God makes so clear. This is beautiful. This is a priority. This is a good thing. This is what you should base your life around. This is what you should build your life around. This is what you should strive for and live for. This is what it is to live by faith. And so I would encourage as we have this first message in this series, one of the first foundational steps to truly learning to live by faith is knowing what God values and knowing what God says is priority and knowing what is beautiful in God's sight, bringing that into your life, building your life around those things, fighting for those things, protecting those things, living your life for those things. And whatever has to be sacrificed and laid out in your connection to the culture or the tension that that creates, it's worth it. It's worth it. And when we begin to truly value these things, fight for these things and live for these things, we align our lives with God. Now, his power is our power. His resources are resources. Now he's moving on our behalf because we're lined up with him. He loves you so much. He's not going to help you throw your life away. He's not gonna help you waste your life. He's not gonna help you go down the road of the culture the only movement of God in your life, if you're going that way, is pulling you back this way. But when you line up here and you begin to live by faith, it moves God's hand in a way that's hard to explain or understand. And you start to see things like what Moses' parents experienced. They hid him for three months. They became utterly dependent on God's hand. And then they got to see God move in a crazy, miraculous way. So I wanna live my life by faith. I want our people to live our lives by faith. But more than me just wanting that for myself and for you guys, as your shepherd, I am telling you right here and right now, we're living in a culture that is going to force us soon to make a decision, to live by faith as the church of Jesus Christ or to conform to the culture. And we've gotta make that decision right now so that when we get to that moment, we will not bow our knee to the culture, amen?